Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today, we're talking to Julie Connolly. Julie is a certified infant and toddler sleep consultant and the owner of the Sleepy Head Coach. She takes a holistic look at any child's sleep issue in order to get to the root cause and resolve the issue for long-term success. She believes sleep plans and parenting philosophies can align and that with better sleep, families can truly thrive. She lives in Fairfield County, Connecticut with her family, where she provides a listening ear and actionable insights to families across the globe desiring better sleep. She loves helping parents restore peace back into their homes and honoring the uniqueness of every child. In this episode, Julie shares her quick and dirty list of best sleep tips for infants and children. And with back to school creeping up on us, we discuss the best ways to adjust your child to a new routine, which can be applied to any transition, such as after vacation, back to school or daycare, or simply just a routine adjustment that works better for your family. Sleep is so important for growing bodies, but also a parent's sanity. So we can all use a little Julie in our lives, especially when it means getting yourself and your family more restful sleep. Julie, welcome to the show. I mean, we were just catching up um, because we are personal friends and we probably could have just kept going, but we have to bring this great information to our listeners. And I am so happy to have you here. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we got to connect and thanks so much for thinking about me for the topic we're going to be covering. Yeah. And you know what? I have to say, Julie, this is our first time really covering infant and child sleep habits. I know a lot of our listeners are mamas out there and um, parents and everyone, you know, any parents looking for extra sleep tips for their kids, how they can best, right? Like a happy baby comes from a well-slept baby. Um, So I can't wait to dive into this. And I'm really curious if you can just start by telling everyone how you started Sleepyhead Coach and where it came about and what your journey was like. Sure, of course. So um, I'm Julie Connolly. I'm the founder of the Sleepyhead Coach. I, you know, started the sleep training coaching journey back in 2019. I was home with my um, my daughters at the time, and I was just doing, you know, part-time remote marketing. Um, targeting the mom kind of world and market. And um, I really wanted to be my own boss and be more flexible with my time. And um, yeah, light bulb went out when I just kind of heard that there was even this like world of like pediatric sleep consultants. I was like, what? Like that's an actual field you can go into because I'm all about science. Like I I love that nerdy side of things, Um, but I'm also a type to Enneagram. So it's like, I love helping families and I love connecting. Um, so I really felt like it was like this perfect mesh of the world where I was like, okay, I want to like geek out and learn all I can about infant and toddler sleep, um, go through that certification process and, um, and then really just connect with moms, like on this really amazing level, like you said, like sleep affects a whole family. So like, it's so much more to me when I'm helping like, oh, this infant or this toddler, you know, like reduce their night wakings or, you know, feel more confident in their sleep environment. It's really that sense of peace being restored as like a family um, and that overall kind of like 
that well-restedness that you're all feeling that like is really my like end goal um, with all of this, like the education around that and that empowerment. So that's how I got started. So I've been doing this for around three years now, um, helping families all over the world, actually, which is pretty cool because um, I, I do it all virtually, um, which is amazing. And yeah, I'm excited. I love talking about um, routines and schedules. And um, that's why I feel like our topic that, you know, we're going to dive into um, is one of my favorites. So yeah, no, I mean, it's the minute your child starts sleeping through the night when they're infants, you're like, oh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I was a different person when I was, you know, still, they're still waking up one or two times a night. And now it's like, not that it's perfect, but I feel like a real human again. And everyone's nicer in the household too. Like Pat and I are much nicer to each other. I mean, Connor's nicer. Like everyone's nicer when you're getting sleep. They really are. If that, I always say like the way your brain responds to sleep and then even like deep sleep, like it really affects like their mood, their behavior, their feeding patterns. I mean, nutrition, Mm -hmm. like I always say, it's like so intrinsically related. Um, so it's just one piece of like the overall, like well being of like your child's wellness. Um, and, and and for adults too. too. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't stop. (laughs) Doesn't stop. I know. So instilling those good sleep habits. And I know Julie, we're going to talk about some back to school, sleeping tips, but I first want to start off. Do you have like your quick and dirty list of sleep tips for infants or children at any age that you think like parents just need to be aware of? Yes, I think so. I think what's always interesting is underestimating the power of a really calming and consistent bedtime routine. And that actually is going to kind of go into our topic as well. Um, and with that, it's, it's those steps that are like proven if you're done consistently over time that it's a positive sleep cue to your child to know what to expect, right? Kind of like Pavlov's dog, right? It's like you keep kind of ringing the bell and feeding. It's like they know what to expect. So I really always feel like where you're not sure, like I need to make some sleep changes to my infant or child's sleep. I always say, kind of look at your bedtime routine, really feel like, is that kind of in a solid place, right? Is that, do you have a consistency there? Do you have the certain steps that are consistent and really cueing to your child that sleep is coming next? Um, I also have something that I coined too, like a morning anchor. Um, and I feel like this is really good for, it's funny, it's like as adults too, but when you are, when you have like an infant, um, I really feel like establishing and kind of setting like a morning anchor for the day. is so good for your circadian rhythm, when to know when to eat next, right? When to sleep next. Um, so much it's, I feel like it's like, oh wait, I never even thought about that. I was just kind of thinking about like when they're napping and total amounts of sleep and wake windows. And I always say like, think about their, their morning anchor. Do you have it set at consistent times that, you know, varying by like 30 minutes because you really want your child knowing when to kind of wake up, get exposed to that natural sunlight and kind of get their circadian rhythm in motion. Um, I feel like that's one of my favorite tips. So that Julie, just to stop you there. So a morning anchor would be like consistently waking them up at a certain time and letting some light in. 
Yes, exactly. So really making sure like that, let's say, um, you know, 7 a.m. like that, you know, really making sure that they're then up around 7, 7.30 at the latest and staying within that kind of 30 minute range there is so important for their circadian rhythm when you really are trying to establish more of a routine um, for their day, especially for infants. Um, I always say it's such a great place to start. Um, And if they're, let's say if they're waking up, so let's say their typical morning anchor time is seven and they're waking up at 6.15, 6.30, is it best to leave them in their crib or in their bed until yeah. it's that time. Yeah, exactly. Especially if they're calm and happy and you really are trying to kind of set that as your morning anchor. Um, because as soon as, you know, their bodies to me, as I say, like are still kind of resting in there. It's, sort of, it's still that dark environment. You still maybe have like that white noise going. Um, so when they take out, when they're taken out and they're exposed to that natural sunlight and they're given that feed, that's really cueing to their body. Like, okay, it's time to start. It's time to start to burn some energy here. I just got my nutrition. It's time to get my body going. Um, yes, exactly. That's true. And what about even for like the evening routine? Could you give an example of what would be a solid, um, and consistent evening routine for an infant? For an infant, I love doing either baths don't have to be every night. I'm a mom of two. Like <laughs> it doesn't have to be every night. I wish I could tell my my myself that when I was um had my just my first. Um, <laughs> doesn't have to be every night. So if it's not a bath, just like a relaxing wipe down is fine too. Um, but then kind of everything should be then moving towards the sleep space after that. So like, you know, you do the bath in there for an infant, you then move into the room where they're going to be sleeping, right? For that diaper change. I love um, lotion massage, downward motions. So that way you're not kind of building up blood towards the heart. We kind of want to relax their body. So downward motions um, are key there. If you're going to do a lotion massage, um, put on those comfortable jammies. Um, This is when I would do your feed with the lights on. So that way it's relaxing to them, but it's also, again, like they're also going to notice that there's going to be steps after that. And they can kind of be more aware of those as an infant. So I like to do the feed then, um, do a burp if they're still at that age where you need to burp after feeds, put that cozy sleep sack on. And um, then I like to, you know, turn the lights off, turn the sound machine on. Um, Maybe before that, if they're, you know, a little bit older, you read a book. But after that, it should be pretty simple. You sing a song or say something, um, hum something. I like to have um, a lot of like sensory things involved. So it's like you had like the touch of the lotion. You had like the feed, the sock. You then have, you know, the coziness um, of that sleep sack layer. And then I like the auditory sensory motion, sensory um, addition too, where they then are hearing something too, right. That's really soothing. So it could be twinkle, twinkle or song that's special to you and then laying them down in their, you know, crib awake and calm and, you know, stepping out or, you know, staying nearby if they need some reassurance. But that to me is like a really nice, simple yet calming routine. Like I said, that's all in their space versus, Oh, I do the feed in this room. And then I move back here kind of back or all over. Um, that way they're really in that sleep space in that environment where it's really calming for them. And how long, Julie, like how long do you continue that 
routine and, you know, the sound machine and all that until they're at what age or just until they don't want it anymore. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So the feed I usually say is like up to the parents, you know, usually some like to kind of, um, when they're getting closer to a year, put it before the bath. So that way they can do brush teeth after bath. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's usually kind of like the natural kind of switch in that, in that step. And then there's and then when they're in the room, they're like, okay, this is nice that they weren't doing a book to be like, okay, we do a book. Or if they were to make it more connecting in that space, because there's not that kind of feed in there, then like, we'll do yeah. two books now. Right. So it's like still that connection time in their space. Um, but in terms of the sound machine, I think it's interesting um, in terms of research, like it, it, as long as it's kept around 50, 55 decibels. So that's like our level right now that it's like a conversation level mm-hmm. um that it's not harmful especially if it's yeah. you know a few feet away so it's just preference it's one of those things I always tell you know clients and moms and dads that you know it's up to you if you want to keep that going it's like gentle fan in the background it's so nice to hear and it could again it's like that auditory cue that sleep is coming especially in those light stages of sleep, um, during your sleep cycles at night yeah. hear that and being lulled back to sleep is nice. Um, but yeah, I find that many children, you know, keeping that bedtime routine, um, into their elementary years, like I find it so nice and important. It's just more of like a connection time at that point, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I need to get back into the, the massage aspect. I will say, so, Connor's a little over 10 months now, Julian, it went from like before he would just lay on his changing table and I could massage him and I didn't have to use the strap or anything. And now it's like (laughs) wild man. Like the minute I put him down, he's trying to flip over and he's just like a hot mess (laughs) and and getting him in his sleep sack is horrifying. But, um, I'm hoping like it's just a phase like everything else. It's just a phase, but I do like, I loved giving him the little body oil massages. And I was, I, we got a book that was telling us about like all the benefits and I mean, it's benefits again, as adults too. Um, it's all the same too, but those are great tips. Is there anything else that you think is kind of like a must for good infant or child sleep habits? I think just like not underestimating too um, the sleep environment your child is in, making sure it's a comfortable temperature around 68, 72 degrees. We all sleep better as adults when it's in that nice kind of kind of cool temperature range um, that's in Fahrenheit. Um, whereas sometimes we feel like, oh, they're infants, we gotta bundle them up. But when you were hotter, um, we experienced this one time during when our power went out and during the summer. Um, you just don't sleep as comfortably. You're unable to get into a deeper sleep, um, when your body is really hot and warm. Um, so kind of keeping that temperature, really making sure you have that continuous white noise. I always find that something varying in tone is sometimes often more disruptive. Um, especially when you are, we all go, we all, you know, have periods of wakefulness during the night. Um, which is interesting, basically around every kind of, you know, two-ish to three hours. So when you're in that light stage of sleep, if a child kind of hears like this different song or this varying lullaby or this high pitched, you know, note that goes plays at that time, it may actually be more disruptive than, than helpful, right. Versus just that static noise. Um, and then, yeah, I always feel like a sleep sack for infants is such a nice addition because, it's safe, but it's also that cozy layer and something mm-hmm. from what you're saying with the senses that they can touch and feel. 
for, for, you know, that soothing kind of, you know, familiarity and, and comfortable, um, feeling that they need. So, yeah, I would say just kind of don't, you know, look at the environment too and, and see what you can change there to make it, you know, darker, cozier, overall, just like a really calming environment and spend time in there. It doesn't have to be just this place where you drop them off for sleep and then leave. And they just start to associate with that. Ah, I just go in here and the lights are off and you leave and that's it. You know, I always say like, make sure you're playing in there, doing one, two, three wees, like in and out of the crib, give them a fun toy to play with. Um, See you kind of putting away their clothes while they're hanging out in there just so that they continue to associate it with love and comfort and not just like, Oh, we just go in here to, to sleep and then separate, um, which is important as they get older so that they're still finding us this place, um, that they're fine being in and they like being in it. Yeah, no, that's a great tip. I know I, we've noticed that like, if we let Connor kind of explore his room, right. It's great. He's okay. Like, then he feels more comfortable in it. He's ready to go. But, um, I have to tell you, Julie, we ended up, we noticed once summer hit and the sun was coming up earlier, he was waking up earlier and we had blackout curtains, but I feel like none of them are truly blackout. So we bought that easy blackout shade that you recommend. And it's been great. Like it actually blocks everything out. It was so easy to use, but that's definitely helped Connor sleep in later. And so it's like, do not underestimate that power of darkness, which right, again, for adults right. too. Right. The power Same of the environment, but simple things you can change there versus thinking like, Oh, it's something wrong with the timing of when I'm going to bed or, you know, this or that with my daily routine. Um, usually it's something with the environment that hopefully you can kind of change like you did and just kind of see, yeah. you know, if things go back to how they were. That's great. Um, I have a question for you because I feel like we get this question a lot. And even just talking to other moms, especially more in the infant stage. Um, but would you say this is myth or factually of if your child is fuller, they will sleep longer. Oh, I think it's, I think it's interesting. There is so (laughs) it's, I, I feel like there's, there's two things kind of to, to unpack with that. Right. So it's like, I do feel like when you say full feeds during the day, um, around predictable kind of times, maybe, you know, when they're wakeful and they're going to use that feed to then, you know, burn some energy and, and play, um, is great. Right. I feel like it fosters and it's giving them the nutrition they need during the day to fuel that energy and growth that they need. Right. Um, However, I also feel like there are times where, you know, you can feed at nighttime because like I said, you know, roughly every two, three hours they're in after four months, they have our adult like sleep cycle. So they kind of have that period where they're going to be awake. Um, Some go right back to sleep. Some need some help. So they can still feed then for comfort versus nutrition. And that's, that's okay too, if it works for your family. So, you know, so it, 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 for me, it's more of that a well-fed baby during the day, um, can still have periods of wakefulness during the night, um, Mm -hmm. depending on how they like to fall asleep at bedtime. Um, if they like to have that full feed and like, like to crash during that at bedtime and then have little snacks throughout the night, they might do that. So I think it's, 
if, if that helps, right? So I do yeah. feel like full feeds during the day, whether that's formula or breastfeeding, do help your child be able to go and stretch longer at nighttime. However, it's up to you if you want to use feeding as as comfort during the night versus like that need for actual nutrition. So yeah, no, cause I know it's like around four months. I, I found so many people feel the pressure to start, you know, solid foods, right. Or pureed foods because they're like, Oh, they're going to sleep better. They're going to sleep better. But I mean, personally, we didn't, we didn't find that it stayed the same, which luckily he was in a good sleep pattern anyways. But, um, we, I've just heard from different and reading different research too. some, it's like, it could actually cause them GI distress if they're overfed while they're sleeping. So it's, that's just one, which it's good to know. It's not black and white, right? right. Every child's right. going to be different for some, like you said, they may just be feeding for comfort and they're not actually still hungry. Right. Right. And I, I also think there's like that big, um, myth around like a formula fed baby is going to sleep longer, better than, a breastfed baby. And there's research on that too, showing that's really just kind of not the case. Yes. Formula is digested differently than, than breast milk. So yes, that can play a part, but again, it's going to, there's also going to be that factor in, well, how, how does your baby like to, to, to fall asleep or to kind of be soothed? You know, do they like a pacifier? Do they like touching things? Do they like to be rocked? Do they like to just move their own body? Do they like to have a little, ounce or two every two or three hours. So it's like, you know, whether you do formula or breastfeeding, it it could be either way. So. Yeah. And there, and it may even be that connection while you're breastfeeding, right. That it's maybe a little bit more comfort because you're also right next to mom. I totally Um, agree. I remind parents all the time that, um, the breastfeeding, um, to, to sleep, if that's an association that your child likes to do for falling asleep and then going back to sleep, that's less so much. It's not just the sucking. It is that emotional, like talking about the senses, they smell mm-hmm. you, they're being, you know, it's you. So uncoupling that is, you know, it's a diff, it's different than sometimes just, you know, being fed a, a formula um, bottle. So yeah, there's definitely not black and white. And that's why I love helping families because I kind of meet them where they're at and what their goal is. Um, to, you know, if they say they want to kind of keep those feedings overnight, but just have the bedtime routine be something where anybody can put their baby down instead of mom just having to be the one that has to be the one breastfeeding to sleep. I can make those changes, right? Every family is going to have different, different needs and different goals. If someone says, I want to, you know, stretch my baby longer overnight with their feeds, that's my goal right now. Cause I'm returning to work or I've, you know, we've got this going on great. I'll meet them there as well. So I think that's, you know, something too, that I've really want families to feel is that, you know, there shouldn't feel that pressure to start solids at four months or shouldn't feel that pressure to drop all the night feedings, right? It's, you're going to kind of realize like, "Hmm, this isn't working for me anymore. I kind of want to see what changes I can make because I realize this isn't something that's working for us in the sleep department anymore. And that's kind of where I want families to kind of come from versus that external pressure to do something. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all an individualized journey. And a lot of the times 
you're trying to get the baby or child to adapt to the family's routine. So everyone, like we were saying earlier, everyone's happier, everyone's sleeping better. Um, but I want to make sure Julie, we get into some back to school or we should say like back to routine, um, tips. So how schedules can change and what's the best way to get your child on a schedule or back on a schedule while keeping them happy. So like let's in summer, maybe they were staying up later because we're on vacation, things like that. What's the best way to get them back to that, you know, back to school or back to routine? Totally. I think too, um, just like the natural kind of like shift and like when the sun is setting has a big effect too. Um, in terms of when you kind of notice like during summertime, when you like to put your children to sleep, cause you want to be out, you know, enjoying those, you know, sunny, um, early evenings later. So oftentimes you'll realize, oh, okay. Like we fall into this pattern in the summertime where our child's kind of going to bed, maybe for on average 45 or so minutes later, and they're kind of on this later schedule, which isn't going to work for us, um, come end of summertime anymore. I like to kind of, you know, one to two weeks before you really need to kind of make that scheduling change, put your um, child um, down for bed 15 minutes earlier, and then the following morning, wake them up 15 minutes earlier, do that 15 minutes earlier, every two to three days. Um, what you're kind of trying to do here is in a gradual way without totally shocking their circadian rhythm and their system. Because like we said, like digestion's linked to that mood is linked to that. So you don't want to totally just be like, I'm waking up an hour earlier. I'm going to overtire you just, you know, for the sake of trying to get back on this schedule, that can be a big shock for a lot of kids. Um, so I feel like just kind of be mindful, like, okay, we've got, you know, this new daycare, this new school starting, um, in a, in a week or so, I'm going to, you know, start putting Connor down, um, to bed 15 minutes earlier tonight to Monday. And then, you know, come Wednesday, I'll kind of push that a little bit earlier. And then you start to see everything hopefully start to shift a little bit more naturally. And it's nicer for you too. So you don't feel like, okay, that first week of all this new change, not only is there's this new change going on or or new school, a new teacher, whatever it is, I also had to shock their system. That kind of combination, I always call them like perfect storms, are usually what causes like sleep disruptions. It's usually not just one simple thing. It's usually a combination of things that usually disrupt really well, like a child who sleeps very well. Um, so that's kind of what you want to avoid is that perfect storm of those things colliding. So that's how I like to shift things back, um, to where you want them to be nice and gradual. So that way it's not shocking you, um, either. Cause it's, you know, I'm sure everyone gets nice, you know, it's nice kind of having those slow mornings. I'm having them right now too. It's lovely. Um, I, cause I have a four, a four-year-old and a six-year-old. So, um, but I do know that we're going to have to, okay, make some, make the school bus and do all that stuff, you know, come, um, end of August, early September. So I'll be, you know, practicing what I preach there as well. (laughs) No. Yeah. You know, they're great tips. And it seems like that's like the thing with babies making everything gradual, even if you're trying to stretch out their feeds, 15 minutes. Like it's just, which again, it goes back to just human nature and what we all would want. We wouldn't want to shock ourselves into anything or changing a routine, which we still do to ourselves. So these are actually great (laughs) tips for adults. (laughs) Students need more than the usual school supplies to make the most of school. 
To help your child really thrive in the classroom, one of the best things to do is to prioritize their nutrition. One key nutrient to add to your child's back to school routine is the omega-3 DHA. DHA supports a child's brain development, cognition, learning, and social development. And to appeal to all of our children's preferences, which we know can be a little picky at times, Nordic Natural sells children's DHA in gummy, soft gel, and liquid form in a variety of flavors. Head to Nordic.com and use the code NaturallyWell15 for 15% off all Nordic Naturals children's products for a healthy start to the school year. But you know what, Julie, I had a question for you because it's something that came up with our personal journey and then talking to some other people. Is there a time that's too early to put your child to bed for the evening? And this is, let's say these are children that are sleeping through the night, infants or children that are sleeping through the night. Yeah, I think there definitely is. Um, so what's interesting is I often find for newborns that a lot of families will think of like the traditional seven to seven, seven a.m. to seven p.m. schedule, yeah. right? Um, newborns, it's you know because they lack any circadian rhythm, they're on a twenty-four hour cycle. Even when they're eight weeks old, like they're still probably going to naturally have like this weird nine thirty to ten ish or so p.m. bedtime. Um, so that's one thing to kind of keep in mind there, because if you try to put them down at 6 PM during, you know, the witching hour, it's not going to bode very well. Okay. (laughs) So that's one thing. And then, um, for toddlers and for infants in early bedtime, it all goes back. And this is interesting too, because I've had clients where, because of like work schedules, one was in, um, the NFL, so he had like, he, they had to, we had to do this later schedule. So I always reassure clients, like we all have kind of have this like natural rhythm. And most research says that kind of that sweet spot of seven to 8 PM is like for children and infants that like natural time to go to bed. However, I do feel like there is the power of an early bedtime when you can tell your child is dysregulated and overtired from either some are more sensitive. Some may need that just after one day of, you know, a really off nap. And they, let's say they're this amazing napper and they always like to get two hours of sleep. And today, because we're at the beach, they got one hour. For that sense of sleeper, I have my second is like that. I'd have to put her to bed probably 30 or so minutes earlier because I know she's going to want to tack on that missed sleep to bedtime. Um, however, I you know feel like anything around 5:30 or 6, especially because we're talking about things like when you start to expect to be fed and eat, and it really is too early because I do feel like it's that it's too close to when they would, their body would be expecting to eat. So even though they're tired and may have missed out on sleep and you're trying to readjust things, make sure you don't kind of push things really way too early because you are then kind of in this weird gray area of, okay, I could be messing things up a little bit too much and confusing their bodies. Like, should I be sleeping? Should I be digesting this meal? I don't know. Maybe they're going to poop at 10 PM that night. So that's kind of what I like to avoid. So I always say like, I find the sweet spot of, you know, even six 30, sometimes during nap transitions, when children are learning or to drop a nap and go to a new schedule, you kind of want to, you know, lean on that earlier bedtime, but really, you know, six 30 to seven 38 is like usually that sweet spot of going to bed. 
any earlier, I find like that moves that morning anchor we talked about way earlier too, which when we're talking about like natural rhythms, like the sun is usually not up then either. So it's just really not a natural time to feel like to, to wake up and start your day and start your body. Um, so yeah, I do feel like there is such thing as too early of a bedtime, but the same time, the power of an early bedtime when you have an off day or multiple off days, um, can be really powerful to help your child, you know, avoid an overtired cycle, um, which is important during summertime because there usually are, it's usually not just one day, but it's usually two days in a row of the late bedtimes or naps on the go, um, which usually I'm sure most children will do fine. But it's that kind of that third day where you usually start to realize, like, I need to be really, you know, more particular about how my child is falling asleep today, their sleep environment and, and the timing of bedtime, because I really want to make sure that that kind of sleep that they feel like they can just get more restorative sleep tonight um, because I don't want that to kind of come back and bite me from, from the past, you know, two off days that we had or so. Yeah, no, Julie, this is really good to know and interesting because we were having the experience. So I'm really doing what we, we are not supposed to do. So Connor generally, I will say is in bed around 6 PM, 6 30, but then sometimes if he's barely took an afternoon nap and is right. Like, you know, crying for no reason or like, (laughs) we'll, we'll even push it up to like, he's in bed at five 30, but doesn't fall asleep till probably six 30. But we were finding, so this is really interesting because we were finding he generally will wake up around six, six 15, but we were finding, even if he was put to bed, like, let's say we had a later night and we didn't get him to bed until seven, seven 30, um, actually the other night was closer to eight. He's still waking up. And I feel like adults are like this too. If we have like yes. kind of our normal wake up time or, or anchor and yeah. he was still waking up. Yeah. That same morning anchor around six fifteen, And when we would put him to bed at six, he was still waking up around then sometimes maybe I would say a little bit earlier, but then we felt like, Oh, well, we should put him to bed earlier. So he gets more sleep. But I I do think we've kind of gotten him in a cycle of probably waking up earlier than he should be. Um, so I think we need to start making a little bit of transition, even to just a consistent six 30. Um, I just had that. Yeah. yeah, I just did that with a client, um, last Friday and we've been checking out every three days with her logs. She was having something similar happen to, um, her 20 month, 20 month old. And it was just that kind of thing. We were over adjusting for a little bit and then, you know, off weekends, this or that. And so things were just kind of too variable. So, but then yeah. the morning wake up set kept staying at five 30. So, you know, you just have to have a little bit, it's always, I always say it's like one, it's like an experiment. I was like, try to have a little bit more co- like controls in the experiment. Yeah. <laughs> so that way, when you're doing logs and you try to see a pattern for, you know, some, which is always, I say like at least something three days in a row, you're like, Oh, okay. Like that state consistent and that state consistent. So sometimes it's hard when you have those, like the, you know, the holiday weekends and things like yeah. that, um, thrown into the mix. Um, but yeah, but I it's think it's just giving them that time to readjust that morning time. Which will end up happening because we always just felt like bad parents if we put him to bed too late and he was waking up at the same time. We're like, it's our fault he didn't get 
the right amount of sleep, but then, you know, they take a nap later and they can sleep in. So, I mean, you know, you crucify yourself, especially with the first. Yeah. But But it's, yeah, that's good to know though. Yeah. And actually that's interesting because with back to school schedules, I do feel like it's a really good time to, towards the end of the summer, really take a look and say like, is my child getting the age appropriate sleep they need? Are they gain too much or they gain too little? Because it's the perfect time to make those adjustments kind of before then you're starting this, you know, starting up school. Because again, you don't want a child to have like this schedule for a child where it's like, oh, okay, you're expecting me to wake up at this time, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm already, you know, I'm undertired or I'm overtired. So mm-hmm. I just always think too, just kind of like taking a step back be like, oh, okay, they're going to be, you know, 18 months by the time this is, you know, let me just make sure that I adjust anything and see if I need to make a little scheduling tweak here before they, you know, go into daycare before they start here. So I think that's something to, to ke- kind of keep in mind too, um, towards the end of the summer is just take a, you know, just take a look again and say, I have an elementary age child. So it's like her sleep needs are way different and they can sleep in if they stay up later. So that that's kind of like a cool phenomenon that starts happening. Um, but yeah, she phenomenon. Needs, yeah. She only needs 10 to 13 hours of sleep. So it's like, you know, she can handle, you know, going to bed at eight and waking up and she would never wake up six. She's, she's a unicorn <laughs> sleeper, but like my youngest does that, but, um, (laughs) she'd wake up at seven, but you know what I mean? Like, um, those are her sleep needs. That's her sleep averages for her age. So that's an age appropriate time for bed and for wake up. Um, yeah, no, this is all such great advice, Julie. And I'm curious, are there any like daily routines or non-negotiables that you do with your girls or that you plan to do with your baby when she's here in November, um, that we haven't discussed. Yeah. I think what one thing that we're, that I always like to practice what I preach to, especially when I know school is coming, change is coming, children handle that so differently. So sometimes they could be amazing sleepers, but then they're dealing with the separation more from you. Maybe they spent so much more time with you during the summer. So maybe it was so much less so of like a scheduling shift that you needed. Cause they were talking a lot about schedules, but more so like the, that separation aspect. And you start to see that start to affect, Oh, they're, they won't let me put them down for naps. Now they won't let me put down for bedtime. Um, I always make sure, and I, you can do this at drop-offs too, to, to always kind of be intentional and say like, I'm leaving, I'm coming back. Um, I like to say I'm having a meeting. That's something that, um, I learned years ago from my daughter's, um, twos teacher. Um, because I always want, you never want to feel like you're sneaking away. I always want them to make them feel like I can leave you here in your, in your space. This, I feel confident that this, I am leaving you at a comfortable space, whether it be your school your bedroom, right? Having, if you feel like you have to sneak away or that you're always rescuing, rescuing them out of those environments, I do feel like it sends that signal to the brain that you're just reconfirming that I can only be, I can only find comfort in you, right? That when something is new or different, I can't find comfort in these other spaces. So I do feel like I like to, you know, plan with my girls and tell them a lot about, this is like a picture of your school or let's drive by it. Um, or if you are kind of having to make some changes, like here is our new, you know, bedtime routine chart and be really intentional at the end step. 
I go out and I go to sleep. Right. And just really making them feel like they know where you're going. Um, I think it's really important, especially when I think of like end of summer and I'm with my girls a lot and they know that that change is going to be coming and the baby. So I think just continuing to have them find comfort in their space and in their beds and in their rooms to me is really important. And as they go through these new changes of starting new schools with new teachers, um, it's so just anticipate that, yeah, there's probably going to be some struggles and some separation things going on around not just those drop-offs, but around sleep. And it's my job to comfort and reassure them. I always want to like, I always feel like sometimes when you feel like, oh, you're a sleep trainer, like, you, you know, like your children must not like have wake ups. No, when they're going through something, they wake up and they need me. I, you know, and that's never going to change. Right. Like when they're going through changes or, you know, they wake up and they signal and they call like that they need one of us. And that's what being a parent's about. So I feel like just anticipating that and just saying that that's okay. That has nothing to do with wrong. You can't fix a feeling. So you can just be there to reassure them. Um, I think it's just really important. I just, yeah, I wanted to make sure that I, I share that because it's something that I'm sure I'm going to be going through with you all as well. Right. Um, it's not, I don't have, you know, robot children, <laughs> they have feelings too. And yeah, that's, those come out when, you know, they're tired around nap time. Well, my girls don't nap anymore, but it will come out around nap time or bedtime when they're kind of feeling those feelings on top of then having to know that, they're supposed to sleep in there alone and, and you're going to be leaving. Yeah. So no, it, it's such great advice. And it's so true. Julie. And obviously, right. You're having your baby girl in November. It's the same right. thing with like putting them to bed awake and comfort it, you know, like letting them know, like you said, that you'll be back, that you'll be there when they wake up versus rocking them to sleep putting them down. And then they wake up after that 30 minutes because their wake cycle and they're like alarmed. Like, why am I in this place alone? Right. Right. So it's like, you, and that's why I would say, but I always tell parents, I'm like, well, then in that case, it might not be working. Like you might have to kind of find tools to kind of make sure they know that you're intentionally leaving them in a safe, comfortable place. So just changing that mindset to kind of thinking about that and know that when they signal that they need reassurance, that it's your job to reassure and calm them, but then you can't be the reason to n- help them fall asleep. Because again, that's going to trickle into other facets of life where, okay, I, I, you know, inconsolable at this drop off, right. I can't be conned by my teachers, right. My mom has to just come and get me and I don't go to school. Right. So you want to kind of give your child to those like coping tools, Um, and then it's just down to your parenting philosophy, how to, how you, how you handle that. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's going to be something that the end of summer that a lot of us are going to see with the back to school shift. It's not so much like, okay, maybe we stayed on schedule because we're one of those scheduler type families and, you know, we made some adjustments to, um, their total sleep needs. Cause now they're older and we, you know, change that. Maybe you realize like, oh shoot, we're having some really big separation anxiety things around bedtime and, and nap time now. Um, and that's okay. Right. You don't have to have the quick fix. It's going to be gone in two nights or two days. Expect that it's, you know, going to be a few weeks on and off where you're, figuring out how to best help them cope as you're figuring out, you know, how to also reassure them that 
this is some, you know, that the school is safe, that their bedroom's safe, right? Um, yeah. That you're going to come back. Um, that yeah, I always say it's it's not a it's not a quick fix, you know. Like I said, my girls go through those stages too, like any other child, right? Um, yeah, no, I love that. I mean, all these tips are just so helpful, and especially for all those like transitions. And yeah, I do. I really think like listening to it all again, I'm like, it's really like we're just like babies as adults too. And we're just like children and want the same comforts. Um, so we love Julie to end every episode with a little rapid fire Q and a for our listeners to get to know you better. So first thing that pops to your mind, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Oh, this is so nerdy, but I do crosswords. <laughs> I keep like a big crossword puzzle uh, book like in, in my bedroom and I like to do it um, before I go to bed um, when I know, um, yeah, I, I like to do it because it doesn't involve the phone. Um, reading for me used to be relaxing, but I find that I put too much pressure if I'm not finishing it in time or kind of getting stuck. So for me, crossword puzzles are my way to de-stress at the end of the day. <laughs> I love that. That is the first time we've gotten that answer. And that's, I love that. It's great. Yeah. Um, okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. <laughs> and how do you take it? Um, with vanilla creamer. Ooh, yum. Yeah. Uh, do you have Julie? Are you like a one cup a day, two cups? Like where a are one you at? cup a day because I'm pregnant, but I like two cups in the morning, and I like to like start drinking it around like eight, and then like I finish it around eleven. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, right? And I'm sure right? when baby's here, it's like you're just gonna keep reheating it, reheating <laughs> it. Totally. Um, okay, this is my personal favorite, and our last one. But your favorite home cooked meal. Ooh, favorite home cooked meal. Oh my goodness. I don't know. That is tough. I mean, I love a good pasta. Like I love a good cacio pepe. Mm, I love um, like a mac and cheese. I would say something in that kind of like cheesy pasta kind of round. How, yeah. How can you not go wrong with that? You cannot go wrong. Yeah. Oh, well, Julie, this has been so great. I'd love for you to share with everyone where they can find you, um, connect with you if they want to work with you and just learn more because guys, sleepy head coach Instagram is amazing. Um, so many tips, but where they can learn better sleep habit tips for their infants and children. Right. Yeah. So I'm all about education and empowerment. So my Instagram at the CP head coach has so much great advice for you. Um, it's not just, like I said, this isn't just sleep training, as you can tell, like there's just so much more involved. And that's why I love geeking out about sleep that you can learn about for your infant or toddler. And then my website is the sleepyheadcoach.com. And not only do I work one-on-one with clients, I have um, my teammate Kaylee on as well, but um, I have the virtual sleep school online sleep training course. And then this is exciting. I just recently launched, um, sleep guide PDF. So that way this summer, when the baby comes, I have these kind of handy DIY, easy to digest, um, super efficient, a little bit more. They're like the younger sister of the virtual sleep school. I'm saying, um, you know, affordable because the financial strains right now in the U S are, you know, we're all feeling it. So I want to make sure that I had those ready for everybody when I go on maternity leave at the, you know, in the fall. So no, get- that's great, Julie. It's a lot less pressure having to read a whole book. I felt like 
I had to read like five different books. Then everyone said different things. So having just those PDF guides is perfect. Totally. And a lot of, now that I've been doing this for three years, a lot of my clients right now are, they were my clients back, you know, two or two years ago. Now they're coming with their second. So they're really time constrained too, because it's like, they don't have time to sift through or read all these things. So like these, these PDF guides are like, I poured like everything into them, but yeah, I kept it really easy to digest because I really felt, I thought about myself, but I also felt about my current clients, like my repeat ones who are like really just kind of like, I need to tell me exactly what to do, how to do it. And I will follow that, but I don't have all the time to kind of read through or listen to the virtual sleep school, which is, you know, it's, it's, two hour. Yeah. It's like, it's like the, it's like we said earlier, it's like the quick and dirty guy. Just give me the answers. Yeah. Yeah. She's the younger sister. You know, she's, you know, I love it. it. Well, Julie, thank you so much. This has been so so fun. Um, and everyone make sure you go check out the sleepy head coach on Instagram too. I have so many posts saved. Um, and hopefully I will see you soon. Thanks so much, Kate. I love this. This was great. And I hope you have a great rest of the summer. I want you to revisit your child's bedtime routine and morning anchor. Is there one you can improve using some of Julie's tips and strategies? For me, it will be pushing bedtime back a bit further and keeping a consistent morning anchor. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Stephen. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.